This morning, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark and chapter 13. I want to give some publicity today to an event that took place in the first century, and I want to show you why it's important to us today. But the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, speaks of the destruction of the temple uh, in the first century. And let's start reading in Mark 13 and verse 1. We'll read through verse 4. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be one stone left upon another that will not be thrown down. And some of those stones were 20 feet long, 15 feet high. They were huge. So that's quite a statement. And verse 3 As he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? He then follows in verses 5 through 13 to give several signs that will precede the destruction of the temple. <clears throat> Let me give you some... Uh, I'm just, let's just put these pictures up real quick. Uh, here's, the, here's one. This would be a picture of the temple in the first century, originally built by Psalm, Solomon and rebuilt by Herod, surrounded by Jerusalem. So it was, a, it was the center of Jewish life. It was actually the bank for national Judaism, uh, they would bring their offerings. All Jews tithed to one location, if you can imagine that. But uh, this would be the incredible size and centrality of the temple in first century Judaism. Give me that next one up. Uh, in 70 AD, the, the uh, Roman army di- uh, surrounded Jerusalem and destroyed it, and destroyed the temple, and because the heat caused gold to melt and run between the stones, they actually got these picks and pried open and pried the stones apart. They took, the Romans took the stones of the temple that was torn down, put them on ships, and took them back to Rome and and used many of those stones to build what today is we refer to as the Roman Colosseum. And so that is a uh, part of the stones in the Roman Colosseum you can see were from the temple. And then give me one, one the next one up. Uh, this is modern-day Israel. That is the location of the Temple Mount, where the temple used to be 2,000 years ago. And today, there is, that is a Muslim mosque called the Dome of the Rock. You can see how flat that is. There is no um, 
stone left standing upon another. The Muslims have worshipped there now for, since about 675 A.D., they built a Muslim mosque. And I've actually been inside there. Uh, They don't have services as much like we would think of a church service, uh, but you can visit it, and uh, it's solid gold on the ceiling. So this is what Jesus is referring to, uh, that the temple is going to be totally removed and that Israel is going to be scattered. So the disciples are shocked. I mean, you can, you can understand how if somebody stood on the, on the, in the front of the Washington, uh, the White House, and made that kind of a statement. Not one stone would be left standing. Uh, America as a nation is going to disintegrate totally and be removed by a foreign army. And uh, there will be a foreign army replace the Capitol Dome. I mean, that would be the kind of thing you'd think about. And so the disciples come to him. They're so shocked they don't say anything at first. In verse 3, when they come up, go up on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, uh, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew came to him privately and said, tell us when. When is this going to happen? Well, that would be a natural question, right? And, and what will be the sign that we will know it's close? That's what they ask him. He then gives the signs that will precede the removal and destruction of the temple. Let's uh, look at that in verse 5. There's about five or six of these. Jesus began to say to them, to them See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will lead many astray. So there would be these false messiahs, false prophets that would arise. In verse 7, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Uh, In the first century, there were no wars in Jesus' day. There was what was called the Peace of Rome, Pax Romana. Rome ruled the earth with an iron fist. You didn't, and if you revolted, they would bring their army in, destroy the whole city, and so nobody, everybody's afraid to rebel against Rome. So there were no wars. Now what Jesus said is, there, when you start seeing wars breaking out, revolts against Rome, know the end in, and you see this in verse 7, know the end is not quite yet. It's near, but not yet. Now, the end of what? Not the end of the world, but the end of the old covenant, the end of Judaism, the end of the temple, the end of the sacrificial system, the end of the priesthood, and the function of the Mosaic law. Now, here's a news flash. We are in a new covenant. Amen? When did the old one actually end? Well, it ended uh, legally with the cross. But historically and practically, they continued to worship in the temple right up until 70 AD. They continued to file sacrifices right through the altar. The priesthood went right on as if Jesus didn't die. So, but in 70 AD... The Romans totally bulldozed the whole thing. 
and there was no more Judaism, no more Old Covenant, no more sacrifices, no more priesthood, no more uh, place or temple in which to worship. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 23, O Jerusalem, the city that killed the prophets, stoned all those who were sent to it. How often when I gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. Now your house is left to you desolate. That's Matthew 23, 38. Your house. Now what does Jesus usually call the temple? He usually calls the temple my father's house. John 2.16, do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. So he, he turned over the tables and he threw the coins out in the street. Uh, he called it my father's house. My father's house should be called a house of prayer, he would say. But here in Matthew 23, this is the last week of his life. He calls the temple your house. A foreboding moment when Jesus implies this is no longer my father's house. God has took his hand off of it. You are now desolate. I am leaving the temple. And that's where the disciples ask that question. Lord, do you see how wonderful this temple is? How can you say such things about it? And then he makes that what I call the greatest prophecy. It's the destruction of the Old Testament temple and the city and the conclusion and the end of the Old Covenant. An amazing thing for first century uh, listeners. Now, some have mistakenly, I think, uh, used the language of the first century destruction of the temple and mistakenly used it to think about and refer to the second coming. Have you ever heard the phrase, the signs of the times are everywhere? Signs of the times. Well, the signs of the times, as given in Mark 13 and other passages, you'll notice the context is the destruction of the temple every single time. And I want to just help you to, uh, we'll put this up quickly, but I, I want to help you distinguish when you're reading the New Testament, when is it talking about the, the destruction of the temple and the end of the Old Covenant and the end of the universe at the second coming? Let's put, let's put some of these up here. Is it the second coming or no? Give me the first one. First, the second coming has no signs that accompanies it. uh, Jesus said this in uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 7. He said it is, concerning his disciples, he said, it is not for you to know the signs and seasons which God has put in his own authority. But now what were they asking about? Lord, see, he was rising up, and the angel said, this same Lord that you see ascending into heaven is going to come in like manner. He's going to come, second coming. But then he says, but it's not for you to know what the signs are 
regarding that return. The, the seasons of his return. And I would ask you uh, to drop down in Mark 13. I'm assuming you have your Bibles open there. Um, Mark 13 and verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Now, what is that day? All right, back up one verse, Mark 13, verse 31. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will not. Then he says, but concerning that day, that is the day when heaven and earth pass away, he says, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. Now that's pretty strong. Not even Jesus knows about the time of the second coming. If you see that in Mark thirteen thirty-two, I had a, a young man some years ago. Um, he he came up. He was a new Christian. He was all excited, and and uh, which I love that. And he said, "Do you think that if I ask God when the second coming is going to take place, that He would tell me?" I didn't want to discourage him, but I said, "Well, I doubt it." He said, "Why?" I say, well, because God didn't even tell the Son. So I'm not thinking He's going to tell you. (laughs) I mean, you can ask, but probably not going to happen. Concerning that day and hour, no one knows. And I might just add this, you know, uh, we, we just need to stop making predictions about the second coming. We don't know. We do know and can be comforted by the fact that he is coming again. There will be a wonderful resurrection and a reunion. And what a wonderful day that will be. But that's something we don't know when. So there's no signs of the times about the second coming. But there are signs about the destruction of the temple. You see that when you read Mark 13. All right, you with me so far? Good? All right, amen. Okay, you thought your job was hard. All right, a second thing that we would say is um, concerning, give me the next one up, and that is that flight is not possible at the second coming. You can't run away. Uh, Look at how he puts it in verse 14. Now, when you see the abomination of desolation, that's the Roman army with their, their standards and signs of, of the Roman eagle and their idols, and they would come in and surround the city and to desolate the city. Now, he says, when you see these, uh, this abomination of desolation standing where it ought not, let the reader understand, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, see that? has to be the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. That can't be the second coming, because you're going to flee to the mountains and escape the second coming? No. He says in verse 15, Let the one who's on the housetop not go down or enter his house or take anything out. Let the one who's in the field not turn back to even take his cloak. In other words, 
When you see the Romans start to come in and surround the city, that's when you get out of town. Don't even look back. Don't go back to your house and get a coat. Just, just run straight out and go to the mountains and stay there. And actually, uh, an early church father named Eusebius says that's exactly what the Christians did. They fled the city at the first sign of trouble. And Eusebius, um, in fact, uh, he says the people uh, who were in the church in Jerusalem, because of the prophecy to depart and dwell in Galilee, they fled to a city called Pella, and all the men together deserted the royal capital of the Jews in the land of Judea. He said not one Christian perished in 70 AD because they remembered the prophecy of Jesus and fled the city. But all the unbelieving Jews stayed and fought and were besieged for three years. Uh, a, a third difference is that uh, prayers don't change the timing. Uh, you can't pray, Lord, would you postpone the second, uh, the second coming? But look at what he says in verse 17 and 18. Alas for women who are pregnant in those days and nursing infants, so pray, because it would be hard for women to run. So verse 18, pray that it's not in the winter. Pray that the Romans don't come and surround the city in the winter. Pray the destruction of the temple is not in wintertime. Isn't that amazing? You can pray regarding something that big that it would be convenient for you to... And enable you to escape. So he prays, and uh, and I, when I read this, I went back and I checked to make sure. But do you know when the destruction of Jerusalem took place and the destruction of the temple took place? It was in the month of August, right in the middle of the summer. So they prayed, and God answered. A fourth thing that always accompanies the, the second coming, but not 70 A.D., is the resurrection. You'll find the resurrection is a part of the second coming, but not part of the destruction of the temple. He says in John eleven twenty four, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So sometimes the language can be mixed up and confused. So I want to give you these so that you can identify what is second coming, what is 70 AD. Now, I call this the greatest prophecy in the New Testament. Why is it so important? And I'm going to give you three reasons and then uh, we'll wrap this up today. One reason that this is a great prophecy is because... Jesus is predicting the end of the old covenant age. He is saying we're going to be finished with the Mosaic law. No more priesthood under Judaism. No more Sabbath days. No more temple worship. No more bringing sacrifices. And There's a new temple, a new sacrifice, new priest, new place of worship. What's the temple today? Paul called the church in 1 Corinthians 6. He said, you are the temple of the living God. Now there are places to worship all over the world. 
In the old covenant, there was only one. So what Jesus is saying is, the New Testament age is going to begin, and the Old Testament age is going to cease. He tells a parable in Matthew 21, and he says that a man had a vineyard. And this vineyard, he sent one of his servants to get the fruit of it, because they were tenants, Give them their share and then bring the possessions back to me. They killed a servant. He then sent another. They did the same thing. Finally, he said, I'll send my son. Surely they will reverence my son. So this owner of the vineyard, this, which he calls the kingdom, sent his son. And the tenants took the son and said, let's kill the son and seize the inheritance for ourselves. And then Jesus, telling this parable, said to these religious leaders, he said, now what do you think is going to happen to the tenants of that vineyard? And they said, oh, the owner is going to come with an army and take the vineyard away from them. And Jesus said, you've exactly got it right. And then here's what Jesus said, Matthew 21, 43, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to another people who will produce its fruits. He's taking the kingdom from national Israel and giving it to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a great transition, you see. That's why this is so important. Is because we need to know what has happened theologically and historically We have become the people of God like a nation born in a day. And we are now His witnesses. Um, Now some people, let me just throw this in here. This is where I tend to get in trouble sometimes. But some people believe that God is going to go back to Old Testament Judaism. He's going to once again have the temple rebuilt. He's going to once again establish the worship with the Jewish priest. And we're going to have blood sacrifices in the temple all over again. I do not see that in the New Testament. I see the kingdom of God in Christ and His church as God's people, including Jews and Gentiles, all races, creeds and kinds, coming to Christ. That that alone is the new covenant forever. Uh, Give me Jeremiah 3.16. I was just noticing this this week. Um, Jeremiah predicts this. Jeremiah predicted a new covenant. He also predicts this. He said, when you've grown and increased, declares the Lord, people will no more say the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant. And he says... It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. And I would just ask you, has anybody been thinking about the Ark of the Covenant this morning? Have you been obsessing over it and missing the Ark? Did anybody wake up this past week and say, Man, you know what I miss? I miss the Ark of the Covenant. But you know why we don't? 
We have a place to kneel before God at the feet of Jesus Christ. He's the new ark, and he's far superior. Amen. But look at that last phrase. It won't be remembered or missed, and it will not be made again. That's the English Standard Version. It will not be made again. Why? Why do do we need it? Well, since we have the person of Christ who's now been sacrificed and raised again and at the Father's right hand making intercession for us, what improvement would it bring? So one of the things that's so vital here is that there is a cessation of old covenant rituals and the beginning of the new covenant. We have the Old Testament as our scripture, but the old covenant is not our covenant, nor shall it ever be. Here's another reason that I think this this is very uh, important, and that is it validates Jesus as a prophet. What Jesus said would come to pass, not one stone would be left standing on another, has now come to pass. And did come to pass, just as he said, in this generation, these things, all these things will happen. In this generation. And what Jesus said would happen, happened. One of the things about prophecy is prophecy in the Bible is something that you say is going to happen And it generally is something that can be confirmed by an event that actually takes place. For example, Exodus 9 verse 5. God said to Moses, tell them that there'll be a plague tomorrow. The Lord set a time, Exodus 19 5, saying tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. (laughs) Now that's prophecy. Moses says tomorrow it's going to happen. The next day, it happened. Hey, if you have your Bibles, let me show you this verse. Turn to Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18. I I say this because there are so many predictions about things. And I think we need to quit making predictions. Every single person from the beginning of the New Testament until today, who has said Jesus is coming on such and such a date, every single one of them have been wrong. Bad record. Listen to Deuteronomy 18, and and, uh, uh, turn there with me if you can, but I'm going to read this. Deuteronomy chapter... 18 and verse 21. If you say in your heart, how may we know the word the Lord has not spoken? Verse 22. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or does not come true, that word the Lord has not spoken and the prophet spoke it presumptuously and you do not need to fear him or revere him. Man, that's going to categorize 
quite a few. So it's very important that if we predict something, we can't be 60% or 80%. We can't be like the prognosticators from Los Angeles where you call up a 900 number and get, you know, half the time they're right. No, God says 100%. If it's from God, it'll be true. And if a prophet gives something that doesn't come true, you don't reverence him. So that's why I want to be very careful about predictions in the future. Um, So this validates Jesus as a prophet. Exactly what he said would come to pass came to pass. One final thing I want to put before you, and that is, it's interesting to me that Jesus cared about his disciples and gave them evidence and plans to deliver them. He wanted them out. He didn't want them besieged in the famines. He didn't want them surrounded by a Roman army. He wanted, he was the shepherd of the sheep, and he was leading them into green pastures. He was making them to lie down in green pastures. Jesus is a deliverer of harsh circumstances in life. And when we trust Him and follow Him, see, some of these Christians, remember, they had homes. They had lands. That's one of the reasons that the early Christians sold their homes and lands and just gave it away. Because Jesus said, the Romans are coming, they're going to take it all anyway. So, So Jesus delivers his people. Um, came across a story this week that touched my heart. Uh, most of you have probably heard of the fires going on in Gatlinburg this, this past few weeks. And there was a, a man who owned a home in Smoky Mountains, and it was a beautiful home surrounded in a, with a beautiful neighborhood, and his house was right at the top. And about a year ago, he had uh, financial hard times. And it looked like he was going to lose his house. He prayed, God, don't let me lose my house. But he did. He had to abandon this new house in a beautiful neighborhood. Awesome views all the way around. And uh, he lost his job, had to go into bankruptcy. Moved to Arkansas. And then he got pictures this past week, of his house. There's an area, one hill, one mountain, small mountain. And that beautiful neighborhood he lived in is where there were 13 people died in those fires. All 13 of them were in that one neighborhood. The fire started around the bottom of the mountain and surrounded all the neighborhood and worked its way up to the top where his house sat. And I saw a picture of it online. It looks like a fire pit, totally reduced to ashes. And he said, all those neighbors died. If I had lived in that house with my family, he said, we would have perished. But God made me lie down in green pastures. 
This is the kind of deliverance Jesus is bringing. He's saying, okay, guys, I know you're comfortable in Jerusalem, and I know you've had hundreds of years in the Mosaic Law, but I've got to get you out. Now, what have you been in that Jesus has to get you out? I want to tell you, he's a deliverer. He's a wonderful shepherd, and he will guide you. You trust him. Let him lead. He will take you to a safe place. I think this story and this, this event gives us tremendous hope, gives us good doctrine, gives us inspiration, and renews our faith and love for Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the new covenant and the new testament and the new creation of God. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, our Messiah, who has brought us out and continues to deliver us on a daily and weekly basis. We give you our praises today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.